This is Classic Lutheran Preaching on KNNA LP 95.7, Lincoln, Nebraska. This is Pastor John Schmidt with an abridged reading of Martin Luther's sermon for the 11th Sunday after Trinity. This is from the John Nicholas Lenker Collection, published in 1905 and reissued by Baker Bookhouse in 1983. The scripture text for this sermon is from Luke chapter 18, beginning at verse 9. And Jesus spake also this parable unto certain who trusted in themselves that they were righteous, and set all others at naught. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as the rest of men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week, I give tithes of all that I get, but the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote his breast, saying, God, be thou merciful to me, a sinner. I say unto you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For every one that exalteth himself shall be humbled, but he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Thus far our text. This gospel brings two extraordinary persons to our notice, or two kinds of people from the multitude called the people of God, who would be God's servants and come before him seeking righteousness. And the two kinds of righteousness which are found on earth are also represented. The one which makes a great show before all the world and in the eyes of men, and yet before God it amounts to nothing, and is therefore condemned. The other which is not known among men, and yet before God it is called righteousness, and is pleasing in his sight. The one is that of the beautiful proud saint, the Pharisee. The other that of the poor humble sorrowing sinner, the publican. We also hear two wonderful strange sentences of judgment, holy and entirely opposed to human wisdom and the whims of reason, hard and terrible to all the world, which condemns the great saints as unjust and declares the poor sinners acceptable, righteous, and holy. But as the text itself shows, he speaks of such saints who trusted in themselves to find a righteousness in their own lives and works which God was bound to respect and again of such sinners who from their hearts desired to become free from their sins and long for forgiveness and the grace of God. For nothing is said here of that other great multitude in the world who are like neither this publican nor this Pharisee, who care nothing at all, either for sin or grace, but continue in security and wickedness without inquiring after any God, heaven, or hell. Of the two kinds of persons among the Jews, the Pharisees and publicans, we have sufficiently heard in another place, namely, that the name Pharisee means the very first, most upright and pious people, who with all earnestness endeavored to serve God and to keep the law, as St. Paul also boasts of himself, that before his conversion he was one of them, as he says in Philippians 3. Again, the name publican among them meant a man living in open sin and vice, and served neither God nor man, and was only busy to rob, to oppress and harm his neighbor, as they were forced to do in their occupations which they bought from the Romans for great sums of money, if they desired fully to take advantage of it. In short, they were people who were regarded as no better than public, godless heathen, even though they were Jews by birth, as Christ also compares them to Gentiles in Matthew 18, 
and if he refuse to hear the church also, let him be unto thee as the Gentile and the publican. It is indeed wonderful that Christ brings two such persons together, who are so entirely different and the farthest removed from each other, and still more wonderful and even offensive that he expresses such weighty judgments, wholly condemning the Pharisee and declaring the publican just. Although he plainly speaks thus of both, nevertheless, he shows that he does not reject nor desire to have rejected such works of which the Pharisee here boasts. For he represents and sets himself forth as a beautiful saint, with works that are neither to be rebuked nor punished, but that are good and worthy of praise. On the other hand, he can neither boast of nor praise the publican for his life and works, for he is himself forced to confess before God and to condemn himself as a sinner and can think of no good he has done. And yet Christ thus searches, proves, and examines both, and finds nothing good in the holy Pharisee, although he did many costly works, not on account of the works, which in themselves are not wrong, but because the person was not good but full of iniquity. While on the other hand, in the publican, who hitherto had been a public condemned sinner, he now finds a real good tree and good fruit, although he does not shine forth with the great works of the Pharisee. Therefore let us in brief consider both persons. First of all, that you must properly magnify and adorn the Pharisee as Christ presents him with his beautiful life. For here you have a man who dares to stand before God and praise his life in the divine presence. This can never be intended as a false praise, but is meant in all earnestness and truth. He appeals to himself as a witness and is willing to announce himself before God and be found in the true worship and give an account of his entire life, that it is spent in obedience to God. He begins with the highest and first commandment and shows himself as one who worships the true and only God and seeks first of all his kingdom and his will. He confesses that he has everything from God, what he is and lives. He brings all back to him and thanks him for all that he has given him especially for this particular grace and kindness, that he preserves him from sin and shame, that he is not like the public sinners and publicans, and prays that God may preserve him in this, and further grant unto him his grace and goodness. Here you see nothing but beautiful works of the first table of the law, of all three commandments, for hereby he also observes the Sabbath, because he goes into the temple only to seek God and to pray. He later goes further into the second table and purifies his conscience before God and the world in that he is not unjust, a robber, adulterer, like the great majority of people. Here the other five commandments are taken together so that he is a man who can boast of himself before all the world, that he has done no one wrong, violence or pain, nor oppressed or offended against the fifth, sixth, and eighth commandments, and in this connection he dares to defy everyone to prove anything different against him. Besides, he has strictly kept the sixth commandment. He has not committed adultery or led an unchaste life, but kept his body in subjection and discipline, and also fasted twice every week, which was not a false fasting, as that of our priests and monks chiefly is, but a real fasting as the Jews observe from morning until evening, to the going down of the sun. Above all this, he was not only not unjust, nor an extortioner of his neighbor's goods and honor, but gave the tenth of all he had honestly and fairly earned, and by this also yields his obedience to God, and gives for the support of divine worship and the priestly office of all that God gave him, and does not lay up anything in a niggardly or miserly spirit. 
Here you see all the commandments together, and he appears to the world a paragon of godliness, a fine, pious, God-fearing, and holy man, who is to be applauded as a mirror and an example for the whole world, that they might well desire, and it would indeed be well to desire, and the world would be very lovely if it had many such people. Now, contrast the publican with this picture, and you will see there is no resemblance to the holy Pharisee, for even his name at once indicates that little virtue or honor can be found in him, and no one could regard him as inquiring much after God or his commandments, and he does not only fail to give any of his goods for the service of God, but even publicly robs and steals from his neighbor. And in short, he is a man who with his sinful life is a public and known example, as the Pharisee also informs him that he is depraved and godless, his conscience is depraved, and there is no good to hope from him. Now, how does it happen so contrary that the Pharisee is condemned of God and the publican is justified? Will God now speak and decide against his own law, which justly prefers those who live according to it to those who live opposed to it in open sin? Or does God delight in those who do no good and are nothing but robbers, adulterers, and unjust? By no means. But we have here quite another and higher law or principle than the world or flesh and blood understand, which looks deeper into the hearts of both these persons and finds in the Pharisee a great evil principle which destroys all that otherwise might be called good, which the evangelist calls to trust in self and despise others. Such is the reproach of this fine man and rogue who is great before the world. Would to God that this one were the only one, and he had not left so many children and heirs. For the whole world, with the best there is in it, is altogether drowned in this vice. It will not and cannot forsake it. Where it knows of any good it possesses, it exalts itself, and despises others who have it not, and exalts itself above God and man. And even though they pretend to keep God's commandments, they transgress them, as St. Paul says of his Jews in Romans 9, that they are truly in striving after the law of righteousness, have not attained to righteousness. What a wonderful thing it is that those who diligently hold to the law and worship God to a great extent are not those who keep the law, as Paul says in Galatians 6. For not even they who receive circumcision do themselves keep the law, and so forth. Those are strange saints indeed, who even in doing according to the law do not keep it but violate it. Who, then, are those who keep it? This Pharisee and those like him, with their fine discipline and honor, which is truly an excellent, glorious, and beautiful gift, which must be praised and esteemed in the world, above everything else, as the greatest gift of God, more beautiful than all other beauty and adornment, gold and silver, yea, than even the light of the sun. Of him, I say, the sentence is spoken, that, before God, he is worse than a robber, a murderer, and an adulterer. Whither shall we now go with this doctrine among the great multitude of this world, whom we ourselves condemn on account of their public contempt of God and all wickedness against God and the people, which also cries to heaven and drowns everything that the earth can scarcely bear it? Well, I said before, that the Pharisee is neither censured nor condemned because he does the works of the law, or else we would have to condemn God's gift and his law and praise the contrary. Yet this I say, that here the person is placed before the judgment seat of God, and finds it different than there before the judgment of this world, that although he has indeed some beautiful praiseworthy gifts, 
yet a great blot of shame cleaves to them, because he misuses these gifts and in God's sight is entirely destroyed by them. For with these gifts he is here accused of transgressing against both God and man, against both tables of the law. For in the first commandment, especially and in the highest terms, presumption is forbidden, that a man should not trust in himself or in his own gifts, or take pleasure in himself, as this work-righteous person does, who struts forth and is tickled with the gifts he has received from God, and makes an idol of them, and worships himself, as though he were the excellent holy man, whom alone God is bound to respect and honor. In like manner, see how he rumbles and blusters also in the second table the law against his neighbor. For neither is there any Christian love or faithfulness by which one could trace that he sought and favored his neighbor's honor and salvation. But he basely goes to work and tramples him under his feet by his shameful contempt, and does not consider him worthy to be regarded as a human being. Yea, when he should help and serve his neighbor, so that no wrong or harm be done him, he himself does him the greatest wrong. For when he sees and knows that his neighbor sins against God, he does not think how he can convert and save him from the wrath of God and condemnation, that he may reform. He has no mercy or sympathy in his heart for the distress and affliction of a poor sinner, and thinks that he is rightly and justly served, in that he is left in his condemnation and destruction, and withdraws from him all the duties of love and service God has commanded him to perform that above all things he might bring his neighbor from his sins and condemnation into the kingdom of God by teaching, admonition, rebuke, and reformation, and so forth. And what is the worst of all, he is glad and of good courage because his neighbor is under the power of sin and the wrath of God. Thus one can indeed trace what desire and love he has for God's law and how much of an enemy he is to vice. For of what use can such a man be in the kingdom of God, who can still rejoice, yea, laugh, and be heartily pleased at the sins and disobedience of the whole world against God? And who would be sorry if any one were good at heart and observed God's commandments? And even if able, he would be unwilling to help him in the least of this, or prevent the evil and condemnation of his neighbor. The heathen themselves know of no greater wickedness, or how to paint a more wicked man, than he who is so hateful and envious as only to delight and rejoice when his neighbor meets adversity. Like some who are so wicked that they willfully suffer harm themselves, if only another thereby suffer greater injury. Such devilish, hellish wickedness cannot be greater in any one than in such false saints, who alone want all honor before God and the world, and wish to be pure and holy, and all others to be obnoxious and filthy. But now see in contrast this publican, who also comes into the temple to pray, but with quite other thoughts and with a different prayer than those of the Pharisee. For in the first place he has the advantage in that he confesses himself a poor sinner, convinced by his own conscience and condemned, and that he has nothing of which he can boast or be proud before God or the world, but must be ashamed of himself. For the law has so spitten his heart that he feels his misery and distress, and is terrified and filled with anguish at the judgment and wrath of God, and sighs from his heart to be delivered, but finds no comfort anywhere for his evil plight, and can bring nothing before God but mere sin and shame. With this he is so burdened and oppressed that he dare not even lift up his eyes, for he understands and feels that he has deserved nothing else than hell and eternal death, 
and must condemn himself before God as he shows and confesses this before God by smiting his breast. In short, there is truly nothing here but sins and condemnation, as much so before God as those of the Pharisee, except that the Pharisee does not confess his filthiness, but will make purity out of it, while the publican so feels his sins that he cannot stand before them, but must confess that he daily offends God with his disgraceful unthankfulness, contempt, and disobedience for all his mercies and goodness, and that he has permitted him to live to this hour. Therefore he cannot trust in himself, nor comfort himself in his own works, but must wholly and entirely despair in himself, if he find not grace and mercy with God. Nor can he despise anyone or exalt himself above his fellow, for he feels that he alone is most deeply condemned, and regards all others as happier and better, especially this Pharisee, who in spite of this is full of pollution before God. To sum up all, you see here already the beginning of true repentance in such a person, who is heartily penitent and sorrowful over his sins, and heartily desires deliverance from them, and seeks grace and mercy from God, and besides resolves in his heart to lead a better life. But mark how the publican's words and prayer harmonize when he says, God be thou merciful to me a sinner. Where did he learn to speak thus to God, or how dare he conceive, arrange, and express such words? For according to reason and human judgment they do not agree, and no man can force such a prayer out of his own heart and thoughts, short as it is. Here is the gospel of God's grace and mercy in Christ, which is published and offered to condemn sinners without any merit of their own. This publican must have heard of this also, and the Holy Spirit must have touched and moved his heart with it, as he feels his sins through the law, that he comes before God and offers this prayer, that he certainly believes and holds as he has heard from the word of God, that God will forgive sins and be merciful, that is, turn away from them his wrath and eternal death for the sake of his Son, the promised Messiah. Such faith unites and binds together in this prayer these two contrary elements. Now this preaching the gospel is indeed heard by many, and it appears an easy matter to say this, but it is not as common as men think that everyone knows it, and no one better understands how difficult it is than the few who study and exercise themselves in it, that they also might believe and pray like the publican. The reason of this, because the pious rogues and hypocrite, the Pharisee, is still within us, who hinders and prevents us from thus uniting them. Yea, this must also not be according to our external worldly nature and its piety, for here we must say and teach nothing else than that grace is not for a sinner, but wrath and punishment. Otherwise no one could live on earth, and God could not defend his majesty, if he did not insist that sin must be punished and good works rewarded. For then everyone would soon say, Let us only boldly commit sin, for then we will receive more grace. But here in his spiritual kingdom it is altogether different, so that he who is a rogue receives grace and is declared righteous, and he who is called good is a rogue and is condemned. This takes place here since God's judgment and the judgment of the world are different, and as far apart as heaven and earth. Before the world it must be thus. If you are good you shall enjoy it. Are you a thief you are hanged on the gallows. If you commit murder you are beheaded. Upon this government God himself must insist, otherwise there would be no peace on the earth. 
but in his own government, where he alone is Lord and judge without any mediating agents, he is merciful only to poor sinners. For here there is nothing except sin, and before him no one is innocent, as the scriptures say. Yet it is also true that sinners are not all alike, so that here we must further distinguish and picture forth those under judgment and those under the grace of God. For there are some gross and bold sinners, robbers, murderers, thieves, knaves, whoremongers, who act so grossly and are drunk with sin, always rush ahead and never think or ask how they may obtain mercy from God, and go about without any care as though they were in no danger. To these St. Paul preaches in 1 Corinthians 6, Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with men, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And Christ says in Luke 13, I tell you nay, but except you repent, you shall all in like manner perish. For such are not like this publican, because they are entirely without repentance, and live wickedly, and do not yet belong to God's gracious government, but to the government of this world. Therefore let him who can learn by this high wisdom, and become a scholar of this publican, in order that he too may be able to distinguish these two parts from each other, so that wrath may not abide and cleave to sin, but lay hold of reconciliation and forgiveness. That is, that he judge not of this according to human reason or the law, but grasp by faith the comfort and doctrine of the gospel of Christ, who alone teaches this wonderful unity, so that man can unite the two opposing words that are farther apart than heaven and hell. For what else do the words, I am a sinner, mean than that God is my enemy and condemns me? and I have merited nothing but eternal wrath, the curse, and condemnation. When therefore you feel that, which you cannot force out of you by smiting on the breast and with your own good works, for it will come of itself if the law really does its work in you, this will indeed teach you how to smite the breast and to humiliate yourself. When you can do nothing else but say, Oh, I am a sinner, then you are lost for the Ten Commandments force and plunge you straight into perdition, that your heart must say, You belong to the devil, and God does not want you, and you begin to flee from him, and if you could, you would run through a hundred worlds only to escape. Then it is time in such a flight and terror to stop in your career, turn and say, My precious gospel teaches me, and the good publican, that before God the highest wisdom is to know and believe that God is so minded, and has founded such a kingdom through Christ, that he will be gracious to help poor condemned sinners. And thus you can unite the two in one word in confession. I am indeed a sinner, but still God is gracious to me. I am God's enemy, but he is now my friend. I should justly be condemned, yet I know that he does not desire to condemn me, but to save me as an heir of heaven. This is his will, which he has preached to me and commanded me to believe for the sake of his dear Son, whom he has given for me. See, thus you have in this publican a beautiful example of true Christian repentance and faith, and an excellent masterpiece of high spiritual wisdom or theology, of which the Pharisee and those like him have never received a taste or smell. Besides, you see here the proper fruits that follow faith, that he is now a different man, with a different mind, thoughts, words, and works than formerly. He gives honor and praise to God alone for his divine grace. He calls and prays to him from the heart and in true confidence in his word and promise. Otherwise he could not have either thought or prayed these words. 
and thus he performs unto God the true and acceptable worship and observes the true Sabbath. And now he also has a heart which is an enemy to sin and disobedience. He does not rejoice, but is sorry that he has lived in violation of God's commandments. And now he earnestly and from his whole heart seeks to forsake his evil ways, not to offend, deceive, belie, or treat anyone unjustly or with violence, and anxiously desires that even thus everyone should live in the same way. This is the picture of today's gospel, and of the two kinds of persons among those called God's people. One kind is the great faction of the false church, who nevertheless bear the appearance and the name as though they alone were the most pious and sanctified servants of God. The other, the little flock of those who are true members of the church and true children of God, although they have not praise and great reputation before the world. The difference between them is that each party is known by its characteristics and fruits by which the appearance and name should be distinguished from their true nature, of which you have sufficiently heard. Therefore see to it that you properly follow this publican and become like him, namely in the first place that you be not a false but a real sinner, not only in words but in reality, and from the heart acknowledge yourself worthy before God of his wrath and eternal punishment, and bring before him in truth these words, Me, a poor sinner. But in the same flight lay hold of the other words, Be thou merciful to me by which words you take away the point and edge of the law, and thus cast and turn from you the judgment and condemnation the law seeks to force upon you. May God have such mercy upon us. Amen. This has been a presentation of Classical Lutheran Preaching from the Sermons of Martin Luther, the John Nicholas Linker Collection of 1905, and reprinted by Baker Bookhouse in 1983.